0: You know, the year was, I think it was 1968. (laughs) We were at a place called Blondes. It was. Me, Grace Jones, and Claudia Schiffer, and we're having a cherry contest, you know. First of all, I'm trying to do the thing, you know, at the seat. We're in the back lodge. All the photographers are trying to snap from the window. I'm trying to get them both wrapped around my arms. They're fighting me. So the whole time we're doing this cherry contest, they're wriggling back and forth. I'm trying to get them in my lap, and they're trying to get out of it. So we all do the cherry contest. Uh, Grace Jones is able to tie it in pretty much 15 seconds. Claudia Schiffer takes her about 17 seconds. Takes me about 19 seconds, I guess. uh, I hadn't developed uh, all the kits in my tool bag yet. And uh, believe it or not, Danny DeVito shows up. And, you know, he snorted out of his mind wearing sunglasses. Says, what are you guys doing? You guys doing a cherry contest? And I say, yeah. He reaches in, takes a whole bottle of maraschino cherries. He chugs all of them, starts spitting the stems at us like they're little machine gun bullets. We're all laughing so hard that I'm able to convince Grace Jones my hand fell asleep and she sat on it all night. Oh yeah,
1: that was nice. I was in Durango, Colorado. was with Larry Bird and David Letterman and an entire sorority from Arizona State. we ruined every tent on that campsite man we were there for about a week straight going blind doing the most disgusting things that year the local paper tried to write a story about it but the editor wouldn't publish but you know what happened everyone knows but they won't even talk about it talk about a time when men can uh, you know really be the men they got to be and women could be what they uh, whatever the hell they wanted to be too That was a time when, uh, well, back then I was doing a lot more than I do now, but, you know, we've all done things maybe we don't even remember. You know, I think the year was about 1982.
0: I was having a girl contest with Rick Rubin at the time. You know, so we would go down to, it was a different time, so keep that in mind when I say this. We went down to the Crimson Crease. And, you know, at the crimson crease, you would see girls, you know, they'd be lined up for you, if you know what I mean, right? And these girls, you know, you didn't, you didn't know much about them, but, you know, it was blondes, 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 the whole nine of they get a redhead in there. You'd see the guys start drooling. You know, that would always be me and Magic Johnson in there, and he wouldn't even leave any girls left for me. I always called him so so selfish. So we're having the girl contest, and we're going girl for girl. It takes us about six, seven hours. You know, back in those days, you know, I was a little bit more red-blooded than I am now. And next thing you know, I'm getting a knock on my door, you know, perspiring, sweating down, doing what I do. And it's Rick Rubin. And he says, we got to throw these girls into the La Brea tar pits right now. Somebody's coming. And we laughed and laughed our asses off. And after that we got Pinky's hot dogs
1: it was me and Jack Ruby we were hunting for morels we hadn't eaten in a couple days because we said the only thing we're eating next are going to be morels and damn it we're gonna find them ourselves and Jack he had his spots he knew that you know parts of the forest that not a, not a lot of people knew he knew where to go he told me, You know, spots where there was forest fires previously, ash and ground, or edge of the forest type of spots. That's where the morels will be, Jack told me. And you know what? He was right. We found so many fucking morels that we had to sell the rest. Hold three full trash bags back to town. So about 15 bucks a pop. You know, Jack at the time, him and I were doing a lot of smack. He was always crazy out of his mind about those mushrooms. And you know what? He made them perfectly. A little bit of butter, a little bit of sugar. That was all it took. And Jack, every year since, he'd send me one in the mail until he died. I think about him all the time. And if I were to go back there now, I bet those spots are cleared out at this point. Probably put a whole bunch of condos in the whole area. It's a shame, too. Could have had a nice breakfast.
0: You know, in the in the late 90s, I did a lot of hanging outside of Jennifer Aniston's house. You know, she's seen you've seen those Avino commercials with her, va va voom, you know, looking like a caramel cream cheese somebody carved a woman out of. I sent her a lot of love letters back then. I was. You know, there was on-demand a limo waiting at the house, you know, in case she wanted to change her mind. You know, and this is before the friends money. I got to tell you that she was living in this crazy, shitty two-bedroom. And I had uh, my flower guy, Valentino Corazon, and he's been with me for decades. He's got secrets that, you know, I make sure he takes to the grave, you know, and... And uh, I said to him, Valentino, I want you to go over there. I don't care what you got to do to get inside, lie, do whatever you got to do. We're going to fill her house with so much fucking flowers. That she's not even going to be able to move in it. Really, really funny bit in retrospect. But at the time, I was basically just trying to be horny. And I was pretty horny for then. Oh my
1: God. I'm in a Chuck E. Cheese with Clive Barker and sandra bullock and you know at this time we were going to crazies a lot and we'd have a few drinks but then i'd get a little bit hungry and i like the pizza at chuck e cheese they'd say jack why do you always got to go to chuck e cheese i said you know why it's not the games it's the pizza but you know i'd still buy us a few tokens we'd win a few tickets get a nice sticker they had a monster truck on the shelf. I was nuts about it. I always told them, I'm like, let me just buy. It. And they said, sir, we won't allow you to buy the monster truck. I said, I'm Jack Nicholson. I can afford that monster truck. And they said, well, you have to win it with the tickets. One day we go, Sandra skipped out on us, but me and Clive, we went down there after having a few Rob Roy's at Crazy's. And me and Clive spent about seven hours winning those games skeetball mrs pac-man the one where you shoot at stuff i don't know kids games but i gave that monster truck to clive because well he won it and he offered it to me and i said no you keep it he still got it in his house to this day he sends me pictures of it we called it kathy because it had a sexy red color to it Really remind us of a woman, but you know, Clive, he doesn't swing that way.
0: I think this one was probably late eighteen, late nineteen eighty nine. You know, it was me and Rob Schneider and Cheech Marin, and we were at the summer camp for rebellious adult daughters of uh, American wealthy families. Uh, it was called Camp Howl and we used to like to go there and hang out by the nurse's office whenever they would come around, you know, say, hey, baby, you know, we didn't really, you know, back then you didn't have to come up with these lines, these charming lines or have flowers. It was a lot of, hey, baby, and there's my car. And we were dead set on having a condom contest because, you know, back then, you know, we didn't really know how to do the stuff, you know. Back then, you know, people would say sometimes the girls would get offended if you'd try to put on a condom, you know. You know, they would say, you know, something only for sailors sailors and the like. You don't have to tell me twice to not put it on. But, you know, what it turned out is it probably had been by that point, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 years since I used a condom. I'm talking to Rob Schneider about it. And I'm talking to Cheech Marin about it. They're both saying the same thing that you know we wouldn't even. He, they're not even sure if we'd be able to to put them on anymore. So we went back out to the woods that was uh, on that property out by Lake Corset, and uh, we found a, a you know a wooded Glen, I guess you'd call. And you know got away from the girls for a little bit after we wet our appetites, and uh, you know we all tried to put a condom on the fastest. <laughs> Well,
1: <laughs> you know, needless to say, uh, nobody won. It was 2002. I'm on a haunted hayride with Nev Campbell. We're having a great time. We're looking at the ghouls, the zombies, Frankensteins running around trying to freak us out. I snuck a bottle of Rumplemans in my jacket. We were both taking a snort each every few minutes, laughing and slapping and cracking jokes and needless to say eventually she touched my leg and i still think about that all the time i mean even years later i'm thinking about what that hand felt like and you know at this point we're getting a little bit tipsy and i say well why don't we go to the graveyard later to see if we could see any ghosts she says jack you don't believe in ghosts, do you?" i said no i don't but maybe we'll see one anyway so we go to the cemetery crossford cemetery i believe it was and uh we're walking along still drinking our drinks and talking about life and movies and our roles and we come upon a grave it was a grave of a great man that i once knew his name was steve zeigel he was a childhood friend of mine and steve always had a weird kind of tick where he would cough into his arm you know when he would cough to his arm, you knew he was gonna say something really, really funny. And that's when I always thought about Steve when I played certain roles and I did that kind of move in some of my acting. And when I told Nev about this, she didn't believe me. And I said, Okay, watch a few good men. You'll see it and I still think about that hand touching my leg.
0: You know, I'm not really sure when this was, but uh you know, me and Squeaky Fromm and the Lindbergh baby used to go to the Petco in Santa Barbara. And we used to pretend to be a family, you know. It was, it was kind of sweet in a weird, fucked up way, and it really got our rocks off. We'd go to the Petco and we'd try to see all these dogs, right? We'd take these dogs out, we'd take them back. We'd go back home, which, and that's what we said we'd do, but we'd actually drive uh, a pest to that parking lot by the CVS and that's when Squeaky would poison all the dogs and we'd bring them back like what happened to my dog man what happened and everybody would get really really freaked out so we did this over a course of a couple months I guess we got a little sloppy and forgot we were doing the same Petco over and over again So one day, the manager, this real tall drink of water, you know, beautiful exotic lady, you know, coffee colored skin that I could just wouldn't love to add my own additional cream to, Uh, (laughs) she says, uh, You know what? I got to be honest. You know, I don't think you're a real family. I think you're Jack Nicholson and I think you're killing all these dogs. You're not a family at all. And I tell her, You know, we may not be a family lady, but this is as good as it gets. And that's how I came up with the
1: title for that movie. I was in uh, Calabasas with Jerry Bruckheimer. We were on a retreat where you learn to make the perfect French omelet. Needless to say, I wasn't too hot at it, but, you know, there was this young blonde there, and I immediately told Jerry, I said, I'm going to ruin my hotel room with this girl. Turns out i did and i had to buy the whole damn hotel afterwards but jerry went halfsies with me and you know we still go back time and time again and jerry makes the best salmon you'll ever fucking eat but he didn't get anything no kind of action like i got that week and sometimes when i go back in my memory lane i can feel the kind of woody i would get back then and it just really kind of Breaks the brain a bit the way things were. I mean, these girls today, they're something, but back then they would do things that would make you go cross eyed. I think this
0: one's probably uh, early 90s. There was a new kid on the Lakers, and I took a shine to him. You know, not quite Kobe yet, not a Kobe level shine. He's my guy. Uh, they signed a young Serbian, Yugoslavian, something like that player named Vladi Divac. He comes over, doesn't speak speak a lick of English. So I go, okay, Vladi, you know, and I'm pantomiming all this stuff for him because, you know, I don't know if he knows, you know, what L.A. is all about. So I'm going to show him, you know, there's some serious girls out here. So I get him, Kathy Ireland, and I, and we go to the Vanity Fair sex party that they throw in Hollywood once a year under a blood red moon. And we're going, and I'm trying to get Vladi going, you know. There's all these willing girls at the party. Everybody's wearing a bikini. You know, Vladdy's very European. He pulls out the thong and is very comfortable. I start pantomime doing a blowjob thing, telling him that he could get a blowjob from any of these girls. And then I started trying to pantomime telling them, you know, there's nothing wrong with a blowjob. It's just feeling good. You like feeling good, don't you, Vladdy? Cause old Jack likes feeling good. Needless to say, it turns out he spoke English the whole time and just didn't want to cheat on his
1: wife. But I guess some guys aren't cut out for L.A. So I'm in the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile with Elliot Gould going about 115 down the P.C.H. And we're flying, crossfaded off reefer, all kinds of crazy drinks we were making on the ride down. And we're slamming it pell to the metal. Come around the pen. State trooper clocks us, throws on the lights, pulls us over. Elliot didn't want to stop, but I said, look, we got about four pounds of weed in this thing. We got to pull over. Elliot pulls on over. The cop says, hey, aren't you Elliot Gould? Aren't you Jack Nicholson? We say, no, we're the zombies. Who do you think we are? He laughs and asks for our autograph. Didn't even have to show him our identification. He knew our faces, but I do find it curious. He didn't once ask us about the Oscar Mayer wiener mobile. Turns out the thing was hot. Elliot had stolen it. He told me outright he bought it, but this thing had been outside our hotel for a few days and no one was driving it. So Elliot said it was lonely. So let's take it for a spin. Well, day later. We're going back to Malibu, and while we're driving in this Oscar Mayer Wienermobile, we see the same cop drive by us. He waves at us. We wave back. Absolutely shit-faced. And you know what? After that, I don't know what happened to the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile. I can't even remember what happened to Elliot Gould, but that was my friend, and I loved him. He was a great man, a great man.
0: You know, I I come up to one night, you know, uh, to Paul Newman. We're at the Cobra Club. Paul Newman's sitting alone, brooding. You know, I go up to him. I go, Paul, I need your help right now. He gets up, starts getting there, and I go, I need you to go to your car and get your tool bag. You know, a lot of people don't know this about Paul, but he was a decent carpenter. And uh, to be honest, at that time, I was a little bit, you know, I guess how to say unlucky in love, you know. If uh, I know what people are thinking, if they're thinking I'm unlucky in love, they're thinking, well, what the hell am I? You know, I must have the worst luck in the world because it is true. I have sex with, you know, these beautiful women all the time. And, you know, what I like about these women is, you know, their legs and, you know, they got their arms are smooth and their soft skin. You know, they got, you know, with their big butts and their breasts. And, you know, the main thing is, you know, they got to know how to use them, you know. So I'm like, Paul, I'm unlucky in love. I need you to do a project with me i take him to a garden level apartment about two miles in north hollywood we start digging start drilling upwards in the wall i start laughing my ass off after about six hours because i told him we had the unit upstairs when in truth you know i was feeling a little lonely because my assistant broke up with raquel welch because she got too old for me so uh When Paul found out that what we were doing is uh, drilling a hole into Alicia Silverstone's apartment so I could show up while she's in the shower,
1: (laughs) we all had a pretty good laugh. (laughs) Yeah. So it was Christmas day. I'm with Barbara Walters in Arsenio Hall, and we're going through my games cabinet. Apples to apples, Candyland, the game of life. Guess who? We're playing Monopoly, we're playing Clue, we're going through everything. We even worked up to, uh, I think it was Ticket to Ride, I won each time, or maybe they let me win, I'm not sure, but we're starting to run out of games, and Barbara asked me, she says, Jack, do you still have that revolver of yours? I say, yeah, it's right here in my pocket. She says, why don't we play some Russian roulette? Me and Arsenio, we start busting out laughing. That was Barbara's kind of sense of humor, but she was dead serious. I and mean, you know what? We played a game of Russian roulette. We only went two rounds. Then we got too kind of bored of the game. But I'll tell you what, Barbara Walters was stone faced the whole entire fucking time. When I think about her now, I almost get chills. But that was how she rolled, man. You know, I think
0: this one was probably in, uh, you know, I got to say it would be, you know, maybe this is the uh, late 70s, mid 70s, somewhere along those lines. There used to be a club that would just be, you know, a little bit south of San Jose, a little risque, you know, something you would kind of have to make a special trip for. And this place, if you were going to make a special trip, you usually didn't go alone and you usually waited until your blood was nice and red. (laughs) It was a strip club right by the border called Headlights. Me, Harry Dean Stanton, Billie Jean King, and Fidel Castro decided to have a pill contest there. So we're going pill for pill, huh? You know, get in the door. You know, they don't really know who Fidel is. They just assume he's probably a Mexican guy from the border. You know, they know Harry Dean Stanton. All the girls are touching his callous jaw. You know, getting horny. And you know, the Billie Jean King. She was a good sport. She'd be lifting up her shirt whenever the uh, you know the strippers would do that to the girls. You know, they do that to the girls when the strippers want to see it. You know, because they're red blooded just like me. These strippers and they. Want to see it, and I want to see it. And if you go there with a girl, they'll see it. And I saw them, and it was pretty good. Needless to say, the pill contest ended up running about two or three days. We started building up this mighty tab, and you could tell they were starting to get anxious. They knew we were movie stars and all, but by that time, Billy Jean King had bit like four of the strippers. Think we were wearing out our welcome, you know. So I'm in the, I'm in the, the, the you know, the, they called it the champagne room, you know, and there's not a lot of champagne there. And I'm, you know, there are, you know, four, five, six, I can't even count how many chicks there are at this point. And they're doing what they're doing and they're rubbing my denim and my rawhide and they're making me feel good. You know, they're making me feel like, uh, you know, I get after this and make a run over to the studded crease. All of a sudden, Harry Dean Stanton runs in. He's completely covered in blood. He says the pill contest is over. What happens was it turned out that, uh, well, Phil Del Castro had mistaken some of his downers for this illegally cut Viagra, and he was bleeding profusely from the balls. And uh, yeah, that was the last time
1: I saw him. It was me and uh, Eddie Murphy and William Hurt. We go to this place called Ricky's in Boston. And they'd have a sex competition there every year. So we'd like to go out there and meet up for that. Sometimes we'd participate. Most of the time, a lot of people just like to watch. I'm a little bit 50-50, Arnold Palmer style, if you know what I mean. Just depending on my mood at the time. So we were doing a lot of lines of whatever people were putting in front of me. And we're making the place kind of stink a little bit a few hours into the thing. And at one point, William, E. Bill is what I called him. Uh good friend of mine, Bill, rest in peace, God bless his soul, he told me he's going to be sick. And I said, what's wrong, Bill? What's wrong? And he says, I think this girl spiked my drink with something nasty. And I said, well, then roll with it. That's the fun of the competition. And when I told him that, his eyes let up, and he put on his goggles and jumped right back into the whole damn thing. William, he could go all night long if you let him. Sometimes you had to stop him.
0: You know, I was at a, you know, I guess there really isn't a tactful way to say this, but I was at a, what they call a sex party. It's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, you know, it was one of those masquerade ones where they get us wearing a mask, and I was going as a max headroom at the time. I show up with uh, two girls with me. I'm, uh, You know, I got a Of course at the time, you know, I was trying to make a little bit of a move. I'm there with Kat Von D and Tila Tequila right? I come in, all the jaws are dropping as I'm kind of strutting these beauties through the floor. And, you know, I always like to tell my girls to do a lap. You got to do a lap so everybody gets a little hungry seeing you they know you walk to Jackie boy. They didn't like it when I called myself Jackie boy. They didn't like it when I called myself horny Jackie. They didn't like they didn't like it when I called myself the mad five venture and they didn't like it when I called myself Mr. Shirdoff because they knew when Mr. Shirdoff came out it was going to get a little nasty. Anyway, I was impersonating Peter Stormare and telling everyone I was Peter Stormare. Needless to say, uh, one thing led to another, and biologically speaking, I am the father of one of his
1: children. I was with Juliet Lewis at the premiere for Jimmy Neutron. She wanted to hang out with me. She was a big fan of my joker performance, so we always said we were going to link up at this point. We kind of uh we kind of became close through mutual friends and so forth. And then she decides to come along with me on a trip to greece i was filming a movie at the time and when we were in greece we met this young man his name was cornelio and he asked me to adopt him and Juliet lewis being as she is she said you should do it jack you should do it and i said why the hell not so he became my son he was about 33 years old at the time and he still lives with me in my home he has a beautiful wife he has Beautiful children, but we have no blood relation, but I still consider those to be my true grandchildren, to be sure, you know. People say blood is thicker than water, but, you know, water is pretty thick, too. So what are you going to say about that?
0: You know, I guess... uh Old Hollywood had a lot of different rules, you know. There's kind of unwritten rules that people knew. And, you know, when you were a big shot actor who won an Academy Award it maybe caught a little attention or two, you know, they let you get away with stuff. They make certain rules for you. Well, I really only had the one rule. And that's don't bother me when I'm at Poster World, you know. I don't know if you guys have been to Poster World, but they sell it. You know, it's this big warehouse where they got poster after poster after poster. You know, most of the posters, I'd say like 80% of the store, you know, it's going to be sports teams. It's going to be, you know, college kids who want pictures, a reefer, you know, they want that kind of stuff. But me, I just wanted the girls. And so when I was in the girls' section of Poster World, you know, it was supposed to be understood. You touch Jackie at Poster World or try to get an autograph at Poster World, I'm going to lose my fucking mind, you know. So I'm in Poster World, minding my own business, looking at all the, you know, Farrah Fawcett, oh my God. God, can you imagine Janice Dickinson in the prime? I mean, oh, boy, you're looking at these Jane Seymours. You're looking at these, you know, Naomi Campbells. You know, I'm sitting there in the stores because anybody's sweating from my neck because I'm constraining my jaw so much because of how horny I am. And who comes up to fucking bother me? It's fucking Beetlejuice. Now, at the time, I knew he had a movie out, but uh, I didn't see it, and at the time, I didn't know it was a fictional movie either. I thought he was like a stand-up comedian, you know, like, uh, you know, Meatloaf, one of those lines. I just thought at that point a guy could be named Beetlejuice, right? So he ends up talking to me for about two hours, going toe-to-toe with me, you know, going... He really was pushing for this Olivia Newton-John poster where I'm pushing for this Linda Carter one where she's Wonder Woman. Oh, my God. Next thing I know, the store's closing. Somebody's walking up to me telling me, you just spent eight hours talking to a Beetlejuice impersonator. And I didn't even know that was a movie. But... We hung out a lot after that. He ended up becoming a close friend of mine, and I very later learned
1: on that was the actor David Spade. That's how he got his start. I was on a laser tag team with Mary Steinberg, and I never really thought I'd be into the sport, but she asked me to join the team when one of their members quit. He had a problem with drinking. I said, well, I got a problem with drinking too, but it's not a problem. It's a solution for me. Mary and I were close friends. You know Mary's beautiful Wonderful actress, close friend of mine, great friend. Long story short, we went on to win the state finals and then we went to the nationals later on after that. Now we didn't win the final for the national title, but the next year we were going to push it even further and hopefully take home the whole thing. But the whole League collapsed after a lack of funding. And I said, Why don't they let me fund it? I'm Jack Nicholson. They said the players can't fund the league. It's a little bit of a conflict of interest, is what they believed. So we took it to Congress, even went all the way to the top. But Mary, Mary, she said, Jack, don't fight these guys. And it turns out the whole thing was run by Vegas. People are making money off of bets from this thing. They kind of tanked it on purpose started a new league over in italy or france or something big market out there but i still miss it i i still will time to time put on my old rig out from back in the days and run around my house with my suit but mary she doesn't really play much anymore but i'll give her a call every now and then we still talk
0: you know, we we got away with a lot of wild stuff back in the day. I think this maybe was, uh, you know, probably the late 70s now. We're up at the Hollywood sign having a party like we usually do, you know, you know drinking some red wine, raising the roof and the like. I'm there with Jane Birkin, Charo, and Paula Poundstone, right? Of course, I invite my friend Paula to tag along, and then Jane Birkin invites her friend Charo. I was interested in maybe, yeah. Uh, somewhat manufacturing a menage a trois, you know. So that's what I had on my mind, you know. I think Paula Poundstone was a little mad at me because, you know, I wasn't really giving her the attention that I was giving Charo and Jane Birkin. And, uh, you know, she steps in front of me, and this is right at the O of the Hollywood sign, and she looks at me and she goes, Jack, I want you to see this. And I want to make sure you never forget it, because you're going to never see this again. And and you know, at that time, you know, a woman takes that sort of authoritarian tone with me. My eyes, my pupils dilate a little bit. I start salivating and sort of rubbing my hands in a childish motion. Paula Poundstone takes off her gigantic blazer. Blazer's so big it hits the ground with a thud. You know. And I see that she had been hiding, perhaps the most beautiful, shapely woman I have ever fucking seen. Paula Poundstone in some tight jeans, white tank top, 36, 24, 36, va va voom. I was so horny that for the next three days, I couldn't stop making an hourglass figure
1: with my hands. So I'm in the Outer Banks with Renee Zellweger, Thomas Jane, and Kevin Costner. We're taking metal detectors, going all around the beach, seeing what we can find. Normally, you come across some fake bracelet or some tin or something like that. But one of these days, it's about the fourth day out there. We're going along. And Renee, she finds something. She digs it up. It's a coin. It looks like a gold doubloon. Nothing like I'd ever seen, but everyone's a little bit confused. It can't tell what the character on the coin is. It's not a president that we know. They look close, they say, Jack, it's you. I say, what are you talking about? They said, that's you on the coin. You're on this gold coin. So I look at it, and I'm looking close, and I'm like, yeah, that's me. That's me, all right. This is the Jack coin. Don't know where it came from. And maybe a fan had uh, lived in the area, made a lot of gold coins about me. I'm not sure. Maybe it's something from God himself. I think now Tom Jane has it still in his home He said he'd never sell it. I said, it's probably worth a lot of money. You can make a good buck off that. He says, it's more interesting to me to have your face on a coin than to have some boring old money. You know, we're all very famous people. We have plenty of money as it is, but that gold coin seems to bring him a lot of good fortune. He got a lot of great roles after we all agreed that Tom should have it. We voted and I, uh, I still wonder who made it. I never put an inquiry on it. I let the mystery kind of speak for itself.
0: You know, I, I, you know,
1: this is at this point, you
0: know, it's probably like uh you know, right around the turn of the century after Y2K, you know, so I'm getting a little bit older, right? But my tastes, you know, my taste for, I guess, uh, you know, I don't know how else to put this, but maybe lean red meat, uh, my tastes have not gone away. So, uh, you know, then, you know, I uh, see a particularly uh, erotic uh, Hardee's commercial with a girl by the name of Jessica Simpson, and I go, oh, my God. Oh my God, a true beauty. And, you know, I first, you know, the first thing I do when I see a beautiful woman is I call my agent and I go, You got to get me in contact with her. Um, Next thing I know, I'm leaving Jessica Simpson erotic voicemails probably three, four, five times a day. You know, I'm addicted. She looks like a big, you know, red and white plaid tablecloth that, uh, gets wrapped up into the form of a super sexy woman with, you know, I don't need to tell you guys, you guys have eyes, you see what she's got right there on her, you see her butt, and you see those jean shorts, you see her eating that big sloppy burger with the ketchup and the mustard, your brain starts making these connections, it's just natural. So I call her up, right, and I talk her into uh, going to a little club, the Studded Crease, and uh, we're driving down there. It's a little bit of a trip. Of course, you know, these girls now, you know, they get a little intimidated by the jacksters. so they maybe want to invite a friend. I'm there with her friend Amanda Bynes. We're going down, you know, cruising down the highway. You know, this is a 30, 45-minute trip. So, you know, I'm still trying to pretend, you know, I'm a little younger than I am. I'm wearing a backwards baseball cap, you know, looking a little sporty, but it's getting late here. You know, we're talking 1130, 1145 at my age, you know. Maybe somebody should have put me to bed back then. Needless to say, I fell asleep. The girls all ended up falling asleep and through pure muscle memory alone i swear to god in my complete sleep i drove there and i parked the car currently and i woke up to a guy at the to the bartender at the studded crease pouring me an old fashioned and i go where's the girls and he goes don't worry there's always more girls <laughs> and that's true that's true
1: it was uh, 1979 I was shacking up with Susan Sarandon a lot. And, you know, she lived in a total shithole. I couldn't stand the look of the place. But, well, I mean, I'm probably partially to blame for that, to be quite honest. I told her that, you know, if you ever move out of this place, you should burn it down. And she said, you know, we made too many memories here, Jack. And, you know, me and Susan, we have things that we got to take to the grave. If anyone's going to blackmail me, it's probably going to be Susan. I'm not going to say what we have done, but I'm also not going to say that we haven't done anything. Cause we probably did do it. You know, me and Susan, we go way back and, uh, she used to, uh, call my sets when I'd be filming a movie and she'd say, this is his mistress. And she'd make up some fake name. Like, I don't know, like, uh, Lucy doors. And I don't know who, who she's supposed to be. and, you know, she weren't she weren't, weren't married or anything. She kind of was just kind of like a friend that, you know, you kind of just had some fun with. But one of these days, the director says, "This Lucy Doors, whoever this girl has to stop calling the set. And I said, you know, I, you know, the guy at the time, his name was Daniel Sturgis. And I said, Danny, you know, you should see this girl. She'll blow your mind. And, and I said, it's just a joke, just a little joke between the two of us. And he said, okay, Jack, okay. So uh, why don't you invite her to the set? And then Susan comes to the set and he goes, Susan Sarandon. He's like, oh my God. He's like, his mind is blown. He says, he's like, Jack, Susan Sarandon is here. You should meet her. And I said, oh, okay, introduce me. And he comes over and he says, Susan, this is Jack Nicholson. And she goes, really? And he says, yes. And, uh, you know, Daniel he died in a car accident a year later. So now whenever I see Susan and we talk about Danny and uh uh it turns out he didn't die in the car accident. He actually killed himself and then the car crashed, shot himself straight through the neck. Turns out it was a gun that we had gifted him on his birthday the year before. So that's something that I uh you know, I think back on that and it's like life is really truly something so crazy
0: you know i was a i was a wild guy there for a little bit you know uh, kind of getting into trouble at all uh, hours of the night and you know i uh, i often tried to you know mentor a lot of other people that entered in hollywood tell them how to talk to these girls tell them to get what they want you know and sometimes these guys need a little bit more guidance than other and uh I don't know if you're familiar with Round Ball Rock, but I was mentoring a guy named John Tesh at the time, you know, and he kind of got his heart broken a little bit. So, me and, uh, you know, John Tesh and Mike Tyson, we went to this club called Cherry Poppers and, uh, we were having a good time, you know, it's a it's a big velour place, you know, with a lot of velour, a lot of circular tables, something where you can really kind of spread your legs and everyone can kind of see you, you know, to- you know see you from across the bar and taste you in and wonder if you're going to send them a bunch of flowers in a limo. You know, these girls, you know, I don't mean to brag, but they're always going, you know. Why doesn't he send enough, you know, flowers in my house that could, you know, keep me trapped in it if I was in bed when they arrived? You know, sometimes I will do a thing as well. Well, I'll send them so much gifts and I'll pile them in front of their door so they can't get out. You know, it's a playful little game. But the whole time we're in cherry poppers, I noticed John Tesh is being super weird. You know, he's not looking at the girls. He keeps looking at the foundation, the siding, you know. He starts freaking out saying, you know, I think Cherry Poppers is filled with asbestos. You know, I think this place is really, you know, packed to the gills with asbestos. I'm telling him to ease off. Mike Tyson's telling him to ease off. He can't stop fixating on this, you know. So I go to the champagne room. They didn't really have one at Cherry Poppers. It was more of a bar break room that they let me sit in by myself with a bunch of girls, you know. So I'm back there six, seven hours, you know all kinds of yoga positions, if you know what I mean, with sweat beating off of my forehead and dropping into the open mouths of multiple women who are worshiping every act I do. And I'm thinking, oh my God, honey, you're beautiful for six hours straight. No climax, you know, I was too busy for it. All of a sudden, I feel that you know, urge throbbing up, you know, it looks like I'm going to bust one of my famous Jack Nicholson Hollywood ropers to bless some young girl's life with, right? John Tesh kicks in the door. Mid-stroke, I'm about to bust. I make eye contact with John Tesh. He says, we got to get out of here now. That The asbestos is getting us. I called the health department. They're all coming. And to this day, you know, locking eyes with John and, you know, ejaculating while he's yelling about his asbestos, I have to admit, you know, uh, I don't really remember any of the girls' names or what they looked like or if they had faces or anything like that. But one thing I do remember is uh, now every time I hear the word asbestos, I get horny
1: and I think of John Tesh. Back in the 90s, there was a club in New York City called Stench. They used to let you bring in whatever food you wanted. You could just bring in whatever kind of food you wanted. And I, uh, one night I'm in there eating my ribs as usual. I'd bring in a big bag of ribs. I'd sit alone in the corner and, uh, I'm sitting there covered in sauce. I'm getting it on my shirt. It's on my elbows. It's on my wrist. And he's, and I'm sitting there eating. And this guy comes up to me, it's Paul Reiser. And he's also eating ribs. He says, Hey Jack, you know who I am? I say, Yes, I do. Nice to meet you. He says, Do you mind if I join you? I say, please do. He sits down. We trade ribs, they're from different restaurants, you see. He liked his a little bit spicier than I normally did, but I still like to eat those ribs. And after that, for about three months straight, we'd meet there once a week, talk about movies. I had been filming something there at the time. But by the time I went back to uh, Los Angeles, I'd miss Paul, so I'd call him on the phone. We'd call each other and eat our ribs. Not much talking, just a lot of slopping and sucking. But we'd talk on the phone while we ate our ribs, and that's how I became such good friends with that guy.
0: You know, I got to admit, even though, you know, a lot of the focus on me as you know, a Hollywood guy has been on my exploits with women. I do have to say, you know, I think there's one woman who kind of outdid me and kind of out- intimidated me a little bit. You know, even I got to admit that, you know, Jacks, you know, these chicks come in so hot and hard, and, you know, they're so horny for me. Sometimes it just drives me crazy. It can be a lot to deal with. And uh Daryl Hannah was one of those women. and uh, you know she uh, she had this thing she'd like to do. It was called, you know, basically when we had sex, she didn't want to touch the bed. The only thing that she could touch was me. and so I would have to be on the bottom the whole time, but she wanted me to do everything. She wanted me to do every position. You know, and I'd have to be holding her up the whole time, you know, and I was not as young as I used to be back then. I'd try to do it and, you know, I'd be covered in sweat, you know. I uh, I remember that was the first time, you know, I'd have sex in my bed and after we had sex with Daryl Hannah, you know, I need a, I need a Gatorade, I need all this kinds of stuff. I look in, uh, that's the first time I ever saw, you know, my own big wet ass cheeks sitting in the impression of my bed. I had sweated so much it looked like a crime scene. uh you know, I, I laughed pretty hard about that. She didn't find it funny. She didn't find it funny at all. You know, After that, she never uh, talked to me again. And I was a little bit relieved
1: because uh, you know, the next morning, I'd say about half of my hair fell out. There was a place I used to go, Jay Leno, called Pleasers. And we'd go in there and buy the back room out. We'd get bottle service. We'd walk in and we would buy everyone in the place a lap dance if they wanted it. And we'd come in there and kind of overtake the place. And Jay at the time was dating the girl from the Starbucks cup. And he said that he never wanted a lap dance because he had a girlfriend. I said, these girls aren't some kind of commitment, Jay. It's entertainment. Loosen up a bit. And he said, you know, if I just could find a girl that's a little bit more like a car, I'd be set. And I said, well, Jay, why don't you just marry one of your cars? You got plenty of them. He said, maybe I will. And he left. And he drove me there, so I had no ride. I had to get a, a lift home in a taxi. Turns out I didn't end up home. I ended up in the bed with the Starbucks girl. So that's how me and Jay kind of had a little bit of a falling out. But I sent him a bouquet of flowers and a week later he called me crying and apologized. But I forgave him instantly. I knew how it was tough, but he never found out about me and his girl.
0: You know, I had uh it was this crazy year, I'm trying to remember what it was. I think it was probably I'd say this would probably be late 90s. Uh, you know, I met Triple H and Alf at uh, Dick Clark's Rockin' New Year's Eve, and we kind of struck up a friendship, you know. Not as quite, you know, as uh, you know hypersexual as some of my friendships have been. You know, we weren't the type of guys that went, you know, Cruising around for Sliz or crease or even ass, you know, we weren't the kind of guys that went around in big red cars looking and yelling at women to show us, you know, their armpits and stuff like a lot of regular guys do. You know, these were more cerebral kind of guys, especially Alf, you know, he was always in his own head, you know. So I tried hanging out with these guys for, you know, a long time. We were at a diner called Stinky's, and uh, you know, the waitress at Stinky's. You know, I don't want to, you know, talk down on somebody, but she was a real cold bitch. You know, couldn't be really used for much and uh, you know, I, uh, she's, you know, grilling Alf cuz you know, Alf is trying to order cats and whatnot and she thinks it's a bit and I'm like, you know, I got to trust him. Like it's not a bit, you know, it's part of the thing. You know? She's not buying it and uh, i'd say probably this is my most embarrassing moment in hollywood is uh a girl i had been hooking up with uh the, you know you might know her uh by the name mary j blige uh you know she shows up with my leash in front of all these guys in front of Alf and triple h who really don't know that kind of side of me yet and I'm trying to tell her, you know, it's not the right time. I'll talk to you later. I'll put the leash on in the car. But, you know, she starts putting her foot down. She says, Jackie boy, you got to put this leash on now. And so she's walking me around stinkies, you know, on this leash. I'm wearing this leather dog mask, you know. And I'm, you know, I'm, trust me, you know, it's embarrassing. But, you know, I'm, i'm hard as a rock you know i'm dribbling through my jeans while my beast is contained if you know what i mean my dry cleaner was getting a bill that week if you know what I mean. well he would bill me because i well you get what i mean i jizzed in my pants while she was walking me like a dog and uh well Alf never looked at me the same after that
1: i was with the uh jennifer tilly at jobby nooner (laughs) don't know what that is i was turned on to it by my good friend jeff daniels you know he's from michigan and it's a little bit of a shindig everyone gets their boats and puts them together has a few drinks and maybe show a little skin well at least once a year at jobby nooner there's gonna be at least one person who dies i told jeff and jennifer i said Well, wouldn't it be funny if I was the one that died? Wouldn't it be funny if I fell off this boat and I hit my head and I just died? I bled right out here in the lake. They said, Jack, quit quit messing around because I had a bit of a propensity to have a wild streak there for a bit. And, well, long story short, this guy named, uh, what was it? His name was Dick Shirts. And Dick Shirts, he, uh, he beat me to the punch, needless to say. He took him and his friend into the water. No one ever found their bodies, but they were presumed dead after two hours of searching. They didn't really put much effort into it because even the police were drunk. See, back in those days, they could drive their little speedboats around while having a drink themselves. I never went back to Jobby Nooner after that year because the fun was kind of just sucked out after they didn't let me die first.
0: You know, I'm at this... uh... Atlantic City pool party with Dido and John Goslin and uh, it's an HPV party at the pool at Slimer's Casino, so uh, You know, it's kind of a red carpet affair, and uh, You know, apparently, uh, you know, when I had gotten booked I thought they were just asking me to be there and show up, but uh, you know, I get there and John Goslin's freaking out saying Where's your equipment, man? Well, i say one equipment john and he looks at me up and down and he says you're gonna be djing tonight so i did what any smart man would do i played the
1: entirety of rumors twice and i went to bed early the other time i was in michigan with my good friend jeff daniels was for the woodward dream cruise there was a lot of cars that would come together people showing off old cars new cars that's where i met my good friend jay leno many years before and jay he brought out a plymouth prowler i thought it was the sexiest car i'd ever seen i said jay you gotta let me take this thing for a spin he said jack you're gonna ruin the upholstery i said what are you talking about don't you trust me he said if you ruin this car you're paying for it i said listen jay i'll buy you two hand to god he says okay take it for a spin jack Me and Jeff go instantly over to Rubbers, one of my favorite spots in Detroit. (laughs) It had a swim-up bar, and you could do whatever you wanted in the water. They wouldn't really watch you too hard as long as you were discreet. So the place kind of smelled strange, but it was kind of the unique charm to it. You know, I told Jeff, I said, if I could live in this place, I would. I've asked to move in, but they won't let me. He said... Well, how are you going to go to your Lakers games from here? I said, well, watch them on the TV. He said, you can't live in a swim-up pool bar, Jack. And I said, watch me. I stayed in that pool for about 12 hours straight. When I came up, I was shriveled like Mother Teresa. My ass cheeks were pale and looked like raisins. You wouldn't believe how disgusting I looked. I said, listen, Jeff, you didn't warn me about the swim-up bar. He said, I didn't have to. And you're so stubborn about it. How am I going to argue with you? I said, you can't, because you know my ways. He said, that's why we're best friends. I said, you're one of my best friends.
0: You know, uh, we took a vacation. Uh, it was you know, me and Carrie Fisher and Linda Carter, and we went down to Lake Ass for a weekend. We had rented a cabin. It turned out to be... Uh, You know, one of their friends or something. I didn't know the details. You know, we get down there, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to not button a single shirt, a single button in my shirt the whole time. And I'm going to really get nice and orange and lay out there and have these chicks worship me. You know, I was thinking of all kinds of erotic things. I was going to wash their feet, they were going to wash mine, probably some other stuff too. But uh, I start noticing on the drive down there, you know, Carrie Fisher and Linda Carter are kind of ignoring me because they're having a pussy contest. You know, they're both popping it. They're making sounds with it, doing tricks with it, you know, and, you know, I start feeling a little left out, you know, and I'm like, can you quit it with the damn pussy contest while I'm driving, you know, and they ignore me. They're laughing amongst themselves. You know, the matter I get, you know the funnier it is you know the louder they pop their pussies you know the longer they shoot stuff out of them and hitting ping pong balls were hitting me in the back of the head you know and i was getting a little annoyed so we pull up to the cabin you know they go in they go straight to the living room they start having the pussy contest in there i'm lugging up all the bags by myself you know i uh you know, night goes on. I feel more and more left out. We're talking about four or five hours on the pussy contest. The hot tub's been going for two, and they can't, you know they keep saying that you know, we're waiting on the tiebreaker. Nobody can best the other one. I start drinking a little bit more and more, you know, I call my florist, Valentino Corazon, you know, I tell him to send everybody flowers, you know ends up being about $23,000 of a bill every time I do that, but he knows who my roster is and who I want to take home. Uh, I call my good friend Steve Zahn to come down here and pay a visit, you know, because he <laughs> says, Steve, you know, I'm on the phone, you know, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm ordering other women flowers, you know, I'm driving down here, they won't even look at me, you know. And, you know, he's on the phone. He can hear all the popping. He can hear all the laughing and the cracking, stuff hitting against the windshield and windows. You know, from there he says, you know, okay, I'm going to come on down. Well, I guess that's when they figure out what the tiebreaker is. And it, uh, it turns out, uh, you know, at the pussy contest, I don't want to tell tales out of school, but they wanted me to put their, my penis in them. And uh, they wanted to pop it out wondered that would that would do needless to say i uh put myself in linda carter and she pops it and uh i wake up three days later 17 voicemails from steve zahn (laughs) i explained what happened we just laughed he's my guy
1: man i got invited by bruce wayne to to (laughs) to come to his penthouse and play cards and I'm going, you know, he's probably going to have a bunch of people over, maybe a little bit of hold a little bit of gambling, or even a little bit of spice or maybe something like strip poker. I'm thinking Bruce is a little bit of a playboy, right? I get there. I'm the only one there. It's just me and Bruce. He offers me a drink. I ask for a highball. We sit down. He starts playing go fish said bruce i thought we were gonna play some cards he said we are playing cards i said go fish i said come on let's just play a game and i said okay bruce we play a little bit of go fish he says okay let's play another game i said okay fine like a little blackjack or something like that he says no let's play war i say okay we play war for four hours straight bruce won every single time he feels a little bad and he can tell i'm about seven drinks deep he says bruce or he says, Jack, you want to see something cool? I say, well, sure. I'm thinking he's got the girls coming over or something. He says, no, come with me. We come into a room, pitch black, flicks on a light, center of the room, big glass case. In The center of that case was a mummy. And Bruce says, do you want to touch it? I said, what do you mean? He's like, do you want to touch the mummy? It's real. And I say, Maybe that gets me sick or something. I've seen the movies. He kind of chuckles, and he says, that doesn't really happen. I say, all right, let's touch it. Opens up the case. Smells like a terrarium in there. It's awful. Maybe the worst smell you've ever smelled. Bruce says, all right, go ahead, touch it. I touch it. Right when I touch it, he screams insanely loud. Scares the absolute shit out of me. Well... Bruce felt pretty bad. He apologized several times. I said, Don't worry about it. We're having fun. We're friends. But about a week later, he sent a stripper to my home for a private show and I I knew that he was a real mensch.
0: You know, this was you know, I gotta say this was probably like two thousand seven, two thousand eight, you know, I'm uh you know, they send me to the uh, you know, the MTV music awards, you know, I'm uh I'm nominated for best kiss with Adam Sandler for our kiss and anger management. You know, it's kind of, uh, I'm a little, uh, you know, I got, it gives me complicated feelings, you know, it almost feels, you know, now they're making fun of me that I'm not this sexy guy anymore. I take it a little bit personally and I maybe do a little, uh, overeager recruiting job, uh, with some of the girls that are there and, uh, you know, it was Ashley Simpson. Um, I actually got mixed up with Ashley Tisdale. And what happened was I, uh, you know, I filled, you know, I did my move. I called Valentino Corazon and, he, you know, he filled their houses with flowers through the window. They didn't even see it coming. You know, he was able to get it all in in the middle of the night. So, you know, they wake up. Um, You know, of course, I, you know, I was more interested, if I'm being 100% honest, in Ashley Tisdale. But, uh, you know, I get this note from Ashley Simpson. You know, apparently, the roses the thorns cut her up real bad Uh, It made me feel a little bit bad you know i uh so my uh my assistant makes a mistake and you know he schedules two dates at the same time so uh long story short you know next thing i know is i'm on the screaming eagle at uh six flags great america with uh you know, Ashley Tisdale and Ashley Simpson. And, you know, Tisdale starting to slide into me. And I go, you, you know, you young, beautiful girl, you know, I'm to do all that stuff. And, and Ashley Simpson, you know, she's in the she's in the back going, you know, what'd she say? She's licking my ears. She's making me feel good. And Ashley Simpson's back there saying, what should we say? So, you know, I start coming up with this plan. We go over one loop, all right, another loop, okay. And I start seeing, I look down at the track of the roller coaster and I only got one loop left and, uh, we get to the top. I reach in the back. I fling Ashley Simpson right out of that thing. <laughs> Apparently, flew about four hundred feet, but thankfully ended in the water park. But uh, you know, needless to say, uh, that Six Flags did have a champagne room too. And I, uh, you know, I I don't want to tell tales out of school, but I, uh, you know, uh, I want to be a gentleman about
1: this, but I uh, came on Ashley Tisdale's stomach. I would say it was probably around. 2006 I get a call from Anne Hathaway she's in tears she's telling me Jack I don't know what to do I need your advice I say what's the problem she says my mother is in debt and she's going to lose her house I said no she's not I, she says how do you know that like how do you know like she can't afford to pay all this and I say well don't worry about it I'll take care of it she says Jack I'm not asking for money. I'm just wondering from your wisdom what I should do to help my mother. I said, well, she needs money and I have it. She says, Jack, you can't do that. I won't allow you to do that. I said, don't worry. I just got paid half the budget for the departed because that's the cost that it took for me to say the N-word. Now, I go meet with Ann. We get a little bit of coffee and we talk over it. I say, all right. I think we can figure this whole thing out. She says, thank you. I would love you to meet my mom. I say, okay. So we get the whole thing squared off, right? What the, uh, my accountant sets the whole thing up. I go with Ann to meet her mother. Turns out she was the old woman who lived in the shoe. This is where Ann grew up. She spent her childhood. in This big shoe It has a lot of history to it. And her mom was in danger of losing it. I said, Wow. I've never seen a house like this she said yes my father built it i said he built this this house how do you build a house that looks like this and she says well he was a cobbler you know this is uh
0: you know this is uh early 2000s you know uh they flew me out to Wembley stadium for a big nme cover you know i was doing the cover there and uh, of course they had me matched up with you know oasis you know those boys oasis you know they did champagne supernova a couple other songs good guys solid guys you know and uh long story short we have so much fun at the nma photo shoot you know he tells us you know he's gonna party with the Fratellis. he can you know he's gonna introduce us to the mighty bush later i said you know whatever okay you know uh they secure this basically you know they they say we should keep this party going and you know i had just met these girls you know these were great girls you know the problem with them is that there was three of them i don't know if they were twins or what but there was three of them i've never seen anything like that they were called the tammy triplets yeah i like these tammy triplets uh they were called the tammy triplets because i made sure uh You know, they were all named Tammy. I didn't like that they had different names because they looked alike. So I said, you guys got to pick just the one name and we're going to stick with that, you know, and they settled on Tammy, which was the strongest one's name. So it was kind of a dominance thing. I was kind of a, you know, into that alpha Tammy, you know, I was really getting into this girl and I don't get into a lot of girls like that, you know, the whole time. You know, we're at the Velour Lounge and, uh, you know, Oasis, you know, they're just fighting with each other. You know, they keep calling each other scousers. They keep calling each other, you know, they keep saying, you know, they're taking the piss out of okay. each other. I don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Uh, and, you know, these girls are talking about this ad campaign they're doing. You know, I'm trying to pay attention. These guys are pushing and doing all this stuff behind me. They're saying they're about to book this commercial where, you know, they, you do know, remember the Budweiser frogs. Yeah. When they said Budweiser, apparently they're going to get cursed by a witch or something and turned into three beautiful women. And I started salivating instantly. Uh, You know, I ended up, you know, when they told me that's the premise of the commercial, I got so horny, I went in for a three way kiss. And uh, it was exactly at that time Noel and uh, Liam, they uh, started full blown fighting and um, knocking me over the head. We go falling over this table you know, the table goes down this path, we're rolling down it. Next thing I know, we're rolling out the front door. We're going down the hills of foggy London town and we keep scooping up more and more people. You know, by the time we get to the ocean, this is a ball of about a thousand people who've all been wrapped up together. Needless to say, we all collapsed on each other in the beach covered in water and, uh, that was definitely the most psychically
1: powerful orgy I've ever experienced is what ensued right after. I was with uh Michael Creighton and Redman. They were visiting LA and they were telling me, Jack, we want to get into some trouble. We want to get into some grossness. We know that you're the expert. I say okay, well, what do you want to do? And I say, okay. Well, I'm in there with Blades Mickey Mouse. What you got to do is you got to go to Echo Mouse, Park. You got to go on the Swan Boats. You got to try the Roadhead and the Swan Boats. You know, they're telling us to go to this place out. called Sleeves so where they got cheap drinks and park. even cheaper girls. And you gonna know, gonna that makes, Kermit the fro- that makes Mickey Mouse act a little weird. He always says he doesn't want to be photographed. And I'm like, Mickey, baby, let him photograph. That's why you're even making gloves. That's why you're wearing gloves, Mickey.